KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. So work from home in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic continues. It's becoming more and more the norm. And I think more and more people are expecting that a good portion of the population could continue to work from home even once the pandemic is over. And that leads to a lot of questions when it comes to office and commercial real estate. If companies and businesses realize they don't need as much space, what are the ripple effects to that? We wanted to drill down into this, so we caught up with David Wilt, professor of finance and director of the Real Estate Center at Temple's Fox School of Business and had a really interesting conversation. Give a listen. So let's start overall here. We are several months into this pandemic and a good amount of the workforce uh, continues to work from home. How has the office commercial real estate market held up to this point? I think on one level, as far as rent collections, it hasn't been as bad as people thought it could be in terms of collection of rents, maybe in the mid 80s to mid 90s. The occupancy levels, as you can imagine, are probably down in the 20, 10 to 20% because so many people are still working from home for now. And then it just uh, has also led to a real reimagination or rethinking of what companies are going to be doing in the future once things return to more normal conditions or a new conditions after the pandemic. Yeah, that that's kind of the interesting point here. From what you're seeing, reading, talking to people, are companies starting to think about life where a portion, if not a good portion of their workforce works from home, if not exclusively, to a, a much higher degree than before? And how does that change how they look at their real estate needs? It has been happening in most companies, as you may know, real estate is the second largest operating expense for most companies behind human capital. So when you have an expense that figures that prominently into your financial statements, you have to really look at a time like this and say, what can we do to reduce that or to optimize that spend? Uh, so that's kind of number one. There's, a, there's almost a, you would be asleep at the wheel if you did not start to look at that. On overall trends, uh, we're seeing a lot of companies really create broader policy statements about what they think the future of work is, including the tech companies like Amazon has said, we're going to allow people to work from home for the foreseeable future. Facebook and uh, Google and other large tech firms have said, we're at least going to be more work from home oriented until at least the middle of next year. And then we'll update things once we get to that point. Uh, Here in Philadelphia, Comcast has pretty much told their people that you're probably not coming, most of you are not coming back to the office before the beginning of next year. And many won't be coming back until later in the year. Law firms uh, and accounting firms and professional service firms have discovered that their employees can be just as productive working from home and maybe happier working from home uh, rather than coming in to sit in the office and do the same work. So I think there's a tsunami of change happening in terms of what the office market and occupancy levels look like in the future. To that point, I mean, you mentioned those occupancy levels, I mean, probably not going to stay that low, 
But, you know, we're, to- we're talking a 50-story building in Center City or Center City in any major American city. I mean, what does this look like as this starts to unwind? Two things. One, any leases in those high-rise buildings that are going to renew in the next couple of years are going to be the, going to be looked at in terms of shrinking the footprint. So anyone that's got 200,000 square feet, for example, and has a renewal within the next couple of years, they're going to be going back to the landlord and saying, we're going to shed at least half to three quarters of our space. And so that, that process, it actually can begin almost two years before the end of the lease term because of all of the eventualities that go into that. So there will be a lot of shrinkage in terms of existing tenants in buildings who still want that building presence but do not want that same amount of space or expense. And then the second part of it is in the meantime, Matt, they're going to, there's a huge upsurge in every major market on sublease availability space. And that's because all of the large spaces in those buildings that you mentioned are now unused and the tenants are saying, gosh, wouldn't it be great if someone could come in and take that space off my hands now and be able to shed that expense. So that's the one really strong trend that we're seeing is sublease space has gone up dramatically in every major market. And I don't see that changing. I think there was a sense that maybe we could create clarity on the end of this kind of stay at home work scenario. And many companies and professional groups have kind of held off on doing that type of move. But now I think that will uh, increase in intensity. So if we're going to see, you know, all of this the, you know, this occupancy shrinkage, which I think is inevitable. What, and you talk about subleasing, but what do you think fills that void? What could we start to see take in some of this space? Um, I just look at, for instance, I know there's a shopping mall near me that 20 years ago was all stores. And now it's doctor's offices, there's like a township office, courthouse, stuff like that. Could we start to see some reimagining of space in, in that type of direction where we start to see things together that we are not used to seeing together? Absolutely. And reimagination is the perfect word. Uh, there's no question that the retail market and has been hit really hard. And if you're a, a betting person, which I'm not, you have to um, know that it's not going to just go back to the way it was ever again with malls and with um, retail centers that have lost their mojo, so to speak, or have lost an anchor. And so, and I, but I think what's really fun about that is there's a lot of opportunity for innovation and creativity and community impact by reimagining those centers where you have an educational component, you have a multifamily residential component, you have an outdoor park area or community space, you create some techie uses, maybe some maker space, perhaps uh, you know, a robotics or gaming center, things that tie into the preferences and interests of your market audience. And so, and that's the fun thing about real estate, Matt, is if you think about it, every 30 to 50 years, there's a dramatic transition in our lifestyle habits, in our work habits, in our commercial habits, in our living habits. And 
were basically we were basically right in the middle of a huge urban migration where everybody was loving the idea of going into urban areas and not having to need a car and being able to walk out your front door and and go walk everywhere that you want to go or have public transit. And now with COVID, that has completely screeched that sentiment and that market movement to a halt. And now the suburbs are have become the beneficiaries of this, you know, what you would call black swan event, which is COVID. So and so what we're finding is that those malls that were kind of saying, ooh, uh, like for example, near me, Granite Run Mall had JCPenney, it had Sears, it had Boscos, and uh, a group, a development group came in and completely transformed that site. And now it's reawakened again as this really cool destination. So I think that's just beginning to happen. And I think that that's a good trend because we need to constantly meet the market. And by reimagining properties into higher and better uses is a great way to do that. What's your level of concern? How concerned are you? We talk about low occupancy and we talk about places wanting to shed space and stuff like that. Um, I would think eventually that starts to pile up that there, you know, the supply, there's more supply than demand and you're going to have people that can't make the rent. Are you worried that we could see things cascade in like the commercial real estate market uh, and cause some real problems? Yes, I'm worried about that. And I'm an optimist. What what I what I see happening is some really interesting kind of counterbalancing trends. And here's what because I do work on a national level. Here's what I'm seeing. There are brand new high rise office buildings under construction right now in most major cities that are new, modern, glossy, you know, beautiful um, what we call tier 1A or AAA buildings. They're going to be completed in the next year or two. And they will be, they're they're having very good success because they were leasing up in a strong market pre-COVID. They're gonna have very good success in terms of coming out and capturing demand. The B minus buildings become the victims of that demand shift. So if there was not a lot of new supply coming on in the market and a lot of new buildings on the, um, on the block to be, to be built that kind of stopped, then you would say, okay, well, the, the impact to the occupancy rates won't be as severe. But what, had, what the, the trend that we're seeing is that there's a, there seems to consistently be a flight to quality. So when you're a law firm and you're a corporation or you're an investment banking firm or you're someone that really has a high visibility brand, you're going to go to that triple A building as opposed to the A minus building and even try to get naming rights on it. So what will happen is the law firms and the engineering firms and the uh, accounting firms, the EYs and the KPMGs and the Deloitte's and PWCs, they'll go into those real high-end buildings as well and leaving the lesser desirable buildings in a position where two things could happen that I worry about. Number one, they wind up going into default or special servicing and get wind up on the 
you know, either a note purchase or an auction situation. Um, and then the other thing that um, would be the case is that some of them may never come back again as office buildings. They may need to be converted to apartments or other type of use. So there could be a lot of uh, uncertainty in those B and C buildings that were doing really well before COVID, but now aren't sure whether they're going to be able to get back to that level or not. Of all the ripple effects of the pandemic, I feel like this is going to be one of the longest developing where we may not know how this shakes out with all these every this shift from work from home for 5 10 15 years am i overstating that i don't know that's a good question i don't know if you can put an exact time on it uh, I was uh, I had a guest speaker in my my real estate development class yesterday, who was a uh, Dr. Peter Lineman, who's one of the luminaries in Philadelphia real estate, and used to run the Wharton real estate program for almost thirty years, and he he used to be chairman of Rockefeller Center in New York, and we were talking, and I asked him a question yesterday. I said, Peter, what do you think about the future of New York City? What do you think? It is going to happen there, knowing right now that it's got it's gone through such a terrible transition from COVID. And he said uh, he felt like it'll eventually recover, but he said it's going to take years before it recovers. And so, to your point, New York City has so much going for it, and so much inertia and energy, and everything from the entertainment and the destination and the tourism and investment banking and being the financial center of the world. So you can see a place like New York coming back in the future. Maybe it's two years, maybe it's to your point, five. Um, but there's too many other things that people want in New York City that will cause it to come back. Um, I think that in Philadelphia, I think the same will be true. It, to, it will take years before we really know what the true impact is of the work from home back to the office scenario. And that's not a good thing for the market because all of the buildings that are in that work from home connected category, the retailers, the restaurants, the you know, the Coventry delis on 20th and Market Street that depend on the office workers for their survival, the hotels, the, um, the convention center, the restaurants, uh, all of those have to still pay their bills during this time period when we're trying to figure out when it's going to come back and how many of them can last that long. That's the big concern. You can't, you can't sustain a business if you don't have revenue. And so, so which segments are really going to um, be questionable? The hotel business will be able to tell, and we can already tell right now, the, the percentage of hotel loans that are in special servicing right now, which is published by a, a, a publication called TREPP, T-R-E-P-P. Uh, then next, how many restaurants have closed and are never going to open again? from an office building standpoint, you'll be able to tell trend-wise how many of those office buildings wind up in special servicers' hands as well, and how long will it take for them to kind of be go from 
performing to distressed or default. And then lastly, there's um, the CMBS market, the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. Uh, there's two types of debt that you get in the CMBS market. One is recourse and the other is non-recourse. And recourse is where the borrower has personal guarantees on the debt that if something happens, the lender can come after them personally. Non-recourse debt basically means that if something goes wrong with the asset and it's non-recourse debt, that there's nothing the lender can really do to the borrower. And in that case, what we found in the Great Recession and may very well find in this next wave in the next couple of years is that non-recourse debt on buildings that are not cash flowing is going to wind up with what we call jingle mail which is where the borrowers mail the keys to the property back to the lenders and you have the lender has inventory of un you know unperforming buildings to deal with so if the covid work from home scenario continues a lot longer there my fear is there could be a lot of non recourse debt where the jingle mail is uh, inundating the um, the lenders which is similar to what happened in the recession as well. Because if you're, think if you're a building owner and you have negative cash flow, you can't make your mortgage payment, you know that your tenants are going to be shrinking their space in the future and you're going to have to come up with money to put in new tenant improvements and pay commissions on new deals or even on sublease deals. And you know that you're still not going to get to the point where you're making money. Why would you put that capital out. So in many cases, it's, it would be the only option would be to just turn the property back to the lender. And what's, I don't know if I mean this from an aesthetic, but just, it looks like we've got the potential to have a lot of very large buildings with very few people in them. How do you handle that as a city, I'm not even talking from like the, you know, real estate tax, just, you know, we could have these large ghost buildings that used to have 15,000 people in them. And now they've got 750 and that just, I'm strictly from a building standpoint, uh, that could present its own set of problems, couldn't it? It, well, it presents real problems for the landlords and for the owners because, you can't just turn off everything in the building because no one's there. So what another uh, fact that people, or fact, another observation that people would find surprising is that you would think, well, if, if the buildings are um, so empty, then your cost of operation on those buildings just has to be weighed, would be weighed down so you can save money. Well, in the summertime, that wasn't true because you can't turn the air conditioning off in a building during the summer in a high-rise building because then you get mold and mildew because the humidity and the temperatures are all there. So that's number one. And then we we're doing a lot of work in places like New Orleans and Houston and, and in Toronto and in Seattle and other places. So you have to keep the air and temperature circulation and uh, in the buildings going. And you also have to have security and you also have to have regular maintenance and you still have to pay your taxes and you still have to pay your insurance and janitorial because you can't just let the buildings 
get all dusty and dirty. So a lot of your fixed and variable operating expenses are not going away, even when you have a lower occupancy. And then what's even more interesting is if you ever want to re-tenant or reoccupy those buildings, many cities around the country because of COVID are now implementing new fresh air standards within buildings where you have to have a certain percentage of fresh air uh, injection into the building. And when you do that, for example, in Houston and in New Orleans, which have super humid, hot temperatures, when you, when you draw more fresh air into the building, that means that your air conditioning and cooling costs actually go up because you're putting 90 degree, 90% humidity, fresh air into the building, which is going to raise the, the building temperature and then you have to cool it down even more. So that's in those kind of more tropical climates, you're actually spending as much money as you did when the building was full on utilities, which is one of your largest operating expenses. So that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg, Matt, because you have to still you know, service your equipment, you have to maintain it, you have to run it, otherwise it goes bad. And then you also have another, um, what we call sustainability issue, which is there's mandates around the country in each city to decarbonize buildings as well. And then lastly, from COVID, how are companies gonna feel comfortable bringing their, their uh, employees back and their workers back into the building without having extra comfort that the air that's coming in there is not going to, you know, HEPA filters and other types of systems to make sure that the transmission of airborne particles and things like that is, is better when you move back in than it was before you work from home. So it's really, to your point, it's really complicated and it's, uh, it's a lot of burden on the owners and on the companies because nobody wants their workers to come back to the office and have an outbreak of any type of illness or negative health conditions. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.